The following is a message by Dr. John Fesco of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Father God, we are grateful that you have gathered us here this morning, that we might reflect upon your word. We pray that you would open our eyes, that you would give us ears to hear, and that we would perceive the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would look to him by faith, and that we would seek assurance, that we would find hope, and that we would find rest in him. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. And in... The spirit of the theme of this uh, year's chapel messages, I ask you if you would to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and we will be reading verses 1 through 11. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Now, among the many books of the Bible, we can certainly say there are certainly some challenging ones. Well, I think the book of Ecclesiastes certainly can fall into that kind of category. I can't help but think that in many respects, as we read the words of Ecclesiastes, we find ourselves perhaps like astronauts walking on the moon trying to get traction, but knowing that we can't quite run as quickly or as firmly as we are used to. There are certainly some things that at least at first glance seem to appear and emerge quite clearly, so much so that popular songs have been written about them, such as the Birds' 1962 hit, Turn, 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 to Everything There Is a Season. But on the other hand, there are likely passages that mystify and challenge us. 
I think in one sense, if we take the typical understanding of Christianity, one that we might find in the broader church, one that is based upon works righteousness, then this book will perhaps make little to any sense to us. I think such an approach, one that is based in works-based righteousness, there is a simple formula. If you obey, then you will be blessed, and if you disobey, you will not be blessed. And so there is that simple formula, obey, receive blessing, disobey, and suffer punishment. Well, such an approach, I think, to life and to salvation often takes the wisdom sayings of the scriptures, such as the famous statement from Proverbs, raise up a child in the way he will go and he will not depart from it. And they read it like an if-then formula. If I do A, will then B, will automatically and undoubtedly result. But beloved, life is not that simple. Indeed, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that formulaic. In other words, what happens to the person who does everything right, but nevertheless suffers? Well, for some, the immediate answer is, aha, that person just gives the appearance of doing things right. He or she must be hiding secret sin in their lives. In the understanding of most, there is no place for suffering. There is no place for Job, one who was righteous but nonetheless suffered. And in this respect, we can say that there is no place for Christ, the perfectly righteous man who nevertheless suffered. Well, in this respect, beloved, I think one 19th century commentator has stated that Ecclesiastes is a germ of the gospel which more fully develops in the light of the advent of Jesus Christ. It is inspired by the same God who has breathed out the rest of the scriptures. And so ultimately, I think that the only way that we can truly appreciate the message of Ecclesiastes is to do so in the light of Jesus Christ. If this is a book about wisdom, then there is no formula for wisdom. Wisdom is not black and white. It is not formulaic. Famously, as Professor Estelle at the beginning of the semester pointed out, the book of Proverbs showcases what wisdom is like. Answer a fool according to his folly. Or don't answer a fool according to his folly. You don't want him to be wise in his own eyes. Or you don't want, him, you don't want to be like him yourself. Well, when do we answer the fool and when do we not? Ah, well... Therein lies wisdom. It calls for wisdom. So what are we to do? Well, beloved, we have to remember that wisdom, according to the Bible, is not simply the applied knowledge of sage old men as they stroke their beards and as they puff upon their pipes, as they, they, they ponder life's great mysteries. You see, According to the scriptures, wisdom is ultimately manifest in Christ Jesus. 
As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and following, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So in that sense, it is Christ who is the key to wisdom. It is Christ, therefore, who is the key to Ecclesiastes. Now let me briefly mention, we don't know specifically who wrote the book. The words, it does not say, I, Solomon, am the author. And so we don't know specifically what time frame it was written. Some suggest perhaps as old as the 10th century BC, others perhaps as late as the 6th century while Israel was in exile. Nevertheless, we do know that this book is contained within the covenantal revelation uh, of God's uh, speaking to his people, Israel, one that ultimately culminates in the advent and the revelation of God in Christ. So once again, remember, Christ gives us the key. With this being said, what does the preacher, what does Kohelet, or what does Ecclesiastes, what does he say, and why does he say what he does? Well, the book opens with a statement that is perhaps seemingly filled with hopelessness. He says in verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Well, here the word that we find in the Hebrew could also be translated as futility. In fact, that's essentially what the Septuagint does with the word, and we'll see that later that this is of great importance Nevertheless, it certainly seems like a hopeless statement to make and perhaps one that is at odd with the Christian faith. How can we say futility of futilities? Everything is futile. Why would the preacher say something like this? Well, he gives us a number of examples to make his point. In verse 3, he says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? One of the key phrases, under the sun, throughout the book. In one sense, he's almost saying, if you look at life from a this-worldly perspective, there's not much to it. You see, the preacher makes an obvious point, one that seems to have fallen upon deaf ears and unseen by the so-called seeing eyes throughout the centuries. Think, for example, of the Great Wall of China. At its peak, the Great Wall stretched for some 4,000 miles. During the Ming Dynasty, it was guarded by as many as 1 million soldiers. And estimates run that as high as some 2 to 3 million people died building it. And it took literally centuries, hundreds of years to build. It has been hailed as one of man's greatest achievements and in fact, even hailed as one of the only objects that is visible to the naked eye from outer space. What's the truth? Well, much of the wall has disintegrated over time, and literally miles of it, miles of it vanish each year. The earth is literally swallowing it up. And no, it cannot be seen from outer space. Simply an urban legend. Hundreds of years, millions of people dead, 
thousands of miles, set up and vanished. And the preacher says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Things in the world apparently never end. And man, nevertheless, continues on this merry-go-round, around and around and around. And no matter how much he toils, no matter how much he labors, he is never, never satisfied with the things that he has. We would think that man would stop from his labors, but for a moment... Look at what has happened over the years and learn from the aphorism that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Think of the world's greatest achievements. What has happened to the great pyramids of Egypt? Sure, they still stand, but when you get closer, you realize that they're crumbling. And indeed, the vast majority of them have either been destroyed or have been buried beneath the ocean of the sand. Moreover, when we think of their purpose, what was the purpose of the pyramids? Well, they were supposed to serve as great tombs in which Egyptian royalty could pack all of their possessions for their journey into the next world. Yet, the king's possessions have either been stolen or now sit beneath the sand or perhaps are on display in some museum. Oh, man's greatest achievement, but yet they fail to recognize that in really, in truth, it is a colossal failure. In 1918, the war to end all wars came to a conclusion with 19 million combatants killed. 19 million. But not to be outdone, the war to end all wars was followed by another fought with some 40 million combatants killed and 15 million non-combatants killed. They say that in the 20th century over 100 million people, 100 million people, nearly half the population of the United States has been killed in warfare. And of course we know that warfare continues unabated with each generation thinking that this, this will be the war. This will secure our place in history. This one will be the last. Man never learns. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things or later things yet to be among those who come after. In this sense, it seems Maybe, just maybe, Plato, the great Greek philosopher, was right with a saying that is attributed to him, only the dead have seen the end of war. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, 
vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Is this the way things are supposed to be? Beloved, there is a sense in which we should feel the crushing weight of the observation. The absolute inescapability of the observation that the preacher makes. But we should then ask the question, though, is this the end? Is this the purpose? Is this the goal for which God created man? And if we could say that Ecclesiastes, the preacher, asks the question or states the problem, then on the other hand, we can say that, no, there is hope. And it is the Apostle Paul in the 8th chapter of Romans that gives the answer. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, uses the very same word that we find in the Septuagint here in Ecclesiastes, vanity or futility. And he says this, Paul says, for the creation was subjected to futility. Or we could say, for the creation was subjected to vanity, remember, life under the sun. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. But is that it? No. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, there is something more. In this sense, the Apostle Paul has, I believe, lifted our eyes beyond from what we can see from life under the sun and he has lifted our gaze into the heavens to the seat and to the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did God subject the creation to futility? Well, it was because of man's sin. You see, when man seeks his significance apart from God, forsaking the reason for his existence, there is only vanity, there is only futility, there is only never-ending labor with no goal in sight, only to have his greatest achievements disintegrate into nothing or to have someone else take it for himself. And the only way, the only way to be set free from the bondage of decay and to receive the glorious freedom of the children of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God, the wisdom of God incarnate, the one who was perfectly obedient and was the true human. In other words, God has come himself to show us what it means to be human. If Proverbs is said to embody wisdom, notice what we read in Proverbs 15.33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. This is why Jesus Christ is wisdom incarnate. He was obedient to the will of the Father. He did not set out on his own path, but rather set out upon the path that his Father set before him. But beloved, it is not simply that Jesus Christ has given us an example. No, he has done far more than that. He has not only given us an example, but he himself has redeemed us from our futility. He himself has redeemed us from our vanity. For those who do not know Christ, there is never-ending desire, always tasting but never eating. Always running, but never winning. Always possessing, but never having. But for those who look to Christ by faith, 
who are redeemed and who are united to him, there is satisfaction. Christ says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Christ also said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest. There is completion. There is satisfaction to those who are joined to Christ. And they know, therefore, that their labor is not in vain. You see, we need not try to earn our place in God's presence by our own work, as it is Christ's labor, his obedience, that has secured our salvation. We who are in Christ, therefore, do not work, but rather we rest when we look to Christ by faith. In our war, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and the like. But unlike the wars of man, there is an end to our fight because Jesus Christ has secured that end for us. There is an end to our war, not because we end our lives in death, but because we end it in peace in life through what Jesus Christ has done. As the author of Hebrews writes in the second chapter, verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Or as Paul writes, and perhaps I can gloss this, For as an Adam all die. For as an Adam, futility, vanity, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So also in Christ there is rest, there is completion, there is a goal. Apart from Christ, there is vanity and futility. And perhaps for this reason, the number of man is 666. A triple, triple emphasis upon the day upon which man was created, but indicative of the fact that he never finishes, he never ends, he never gets to that seventh day. In Christ, the wisdom of God, we find completion, rest, meaning, and significance, and perhaps therefore we can say that his number is 777, that of rest, that of completion, that of peace. Well, beloved, as we live in this world, I think the danger is, and this is what calls us to wisdom, is that as Christians, we can get caught up in the vanity of man. We can get caught up in his futility. We get caught up in the rise and the fall of empires, in revolutions and in counter-revolutions, and we can forget our union with Christ and the significance that he gives to all of life itself. One of my favorite movies is Bridge on the River Kwai. It's one of my favorites. Sir Alec Guinness plays one of the lead characters, Colonel Nicholson. Now, of course, for some of you younger folks, Sir Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan Kenobi, although, of course, I thought, well, maybe referring to Star Wars would further date me even more. Nevertheless, you have Sir Alec Guinness and his character, Colonel Nicholson, who really gets into the bridge building. He and a bunch of other British soldiers have been captured by the enemy, and so now they are laboring to build a bridge for the enemy. 
And Colonel Nicholson says to one of his mates, he says, one day the war will be over, and I hope that the people that use this bridge in years to come will remember how it was built and who built it. Not a gang of slaves, but soldiers, British soldiers, even in captivity. And of course, perhaps you know the rest of the story. William Holden's character is sent in with a team uh, to blow up the bridge because this is a vital uh, point of, of communication and supply now for the enemy that has to be destroyed. Now, I'm sorry, I'm about to give away the ending of the movie, and you've had plenty of time to see it. It's been out for a long time, okay? <laughs> but William Holden, you, you, if you remember, you see that they ran out of cord to get to the detonator, and so it was strung over a branch, and Sir Alec Guinness noticed that something is wrong, and he finds the detonator, and he's like, no, we can't blow up the bridge, and there's a struggle between William Holden and Sir Alec Guinness as they struggle, and as one is trying to blow the bridge, and he says, don't you realize you're in league with the enemy? And it's not until Sir Alec Guinness's character is shot, he realizes, what have I done? What have I done? And of course bridge goes. I think it's a good illustration and particularly in light of what Ecclesiastes has to say is that in this regard for what do we labor? For whom do we labor? Do we labor for the glory of man getting caught up in his grand but ever failing schemes? Or is our faith centered upon Christ and his kingdom a kingdom and dominion that will truly last forever? But beloved, here is where it requires wisdom. The wisdom of Christ, the mind of Christ, because the world will say, look at the insignificance of what you're working on here. There is no grandeur to it. There is no might, there is no power, there is no wealth. It's a waste of your time. Come and join me. And so many within the church have bought into this understanding of success. Success is not measured in terms of faithfulness, but rather in terms of how big of an empire can we build. But you see, in order to see the kingdom, it takes wisdom. The wisdom of Christ, a wisdom that looks past the evaluations and the judgments of sinful man and looks to see things through the cross of Christ. Remember what Paul said? For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That is the wisdom of which Ecclesiastes speaks. That is the wisdom that is found in Christ, the crucified Messiah. So where do we find this great kingdom of Jesus Christ? Through the eyes of wisdom, we see that the kingdom is found in the simplicity of teaching a child smallest and insignificant member of society, a child about Christ. The kingdom of God is, is in something as seemingly ordinary and mundane as placing a tithe in the offering plate so that the gospel can go forth into the world to gather the people of God, the living stones of his temple. The grandeur and the magnificence of the, of the wisdom of the crucified God is found in as simple as a prayer uttered in earnest faith in Christ. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
It takes wisdom to see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is found in the foolishness of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Beloved, indeed, apart from Christ, futility of futility, says the preacher, futility of futility, all is futility. But in Christ, in Christ, there is hope, there is rest, there is a goal, there is completion and a conclusion. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed wisdom incarnate. And we pray, O Lord, that you would conform us more and more to the image of your Son, that you would give us the eyes of wisdom so that we would know the wisdom of the crucified Christ. We pray and ask, O Lord, that in this way that you would purge out of our hearts and out of our minds the wisdom of man for all of its pretended greatness and sage counsel, and that we would seek shelter in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to remember, O Lord, that it is in the simplicity of the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, that you have revealed your glory and the glory of your Son. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and make us wise in Christ. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.